Amen. Thank you, praise team. What an incredible worship set. What an incredible songs we sing to our King, to our God, to the one who rules, to the one who reigns, to the one who loves us. Please turn your Bibles to 1 Samuel chapter 1, if you will. 1 Samuel chapter 1. As you're turning there, I have a question. Have you ever felt like the world is closing in? Have you ever felt like it's just bad news after bad news? Have you ever felt that it's just inevitable that those dominoes are just going to keep falling and keep crashing and keep landing on you no matter what you do? Perhaps you feel that way now. Perhaps there's coming a time that you will feel that way. But let me say this, when you do feel that way, it's really important to remember that our lives are not dictated or controlled by a line of dominoes. They're not guided by cause and effect with no chance of intervention, right? So most of you have played with dominoes in your life, have set up dominoes in your life. I'm not talking about playing like dominoes, 42 or something like that. I'm talking about you've set up domino lines, right? So either when you were a kid or you're a parent and you're playing with kids or you're just a domino enthusiast and no one knows about it, you've set up some kind of a domino line. There's intricate ones. You've seen them on YouTube or you've seen them on TV and they have multiple different levels, multiple different layers and they do circles and they're falling off you know, bridges and hitting dominoes at the bottom and all these intricate different ways to do it. But some of you, like me, have just set up little simple lines that maybe include 50 dominoes and maybe have a turn in there or maybe there's even a, a circle or, or some sort of a shape that you've kind of created yourself and you have it just right so that you know when you flick that first domino, all the dominoes in that line are gonna fall because you've measured it out and you know exactly how far those dominoes need to be apart and they're going to fall. But what's common with all of these is that anytime the creator of the domino line wants to stop or to change the sequence, all he or she has to do is intervene. If we were to make a, a domino line from this wall to that wall and Allison over here was going to flip that first domino, all she would have to do is run down here and then pull out two or three dominoes. And then when that line finally got to that place where there was a space, what would happen? It would stop. It would stop. Because it's the creator who controls our lives. It's the creator who is overseeing everything about us. We are not at the whim of fate. And it's not as if there is nothing that can be done about the line of dominoes or the world crashing in on us. No, our God is in control. This morning we begin a series through Samuel. My preaching plan uh, for the year, which was finished a couple months ago, included us going through 1 Samuel and then taking a break around summer, kind of switching gears, and then picking up 2 Samuel in the fall and finishing it by the end of the year. Now, I'm telling you, that's still our desire. That's still my desire. However, I just don't know exactly how this year is going to play itself out. But I'm committed to being here and doing as much as I can, normal routine, as often as possible. However, I'll say this. Tim Sperduto is an incredible preacher and an incredible associate pastor. I'm so glad that he's on our staff here. So I can promise you this, friends. We will have a sermon every single Sunday, okay? 
it may or may not be the next sermon that you will expect in the series, okay? There may be times where it's kind of a last minute thing where I say, Tim, I can't do it this week. And he steps up and he preaches something else that the Lord's laid on his heart, but maybe not in the first Samuel or perhaps the second Samuel series sequence. But that's okay. We're going to get through this. Uh, as I also want to just say this. You're going to note that there will be times when I am not as out in front as I would usually and normally be. I'm not out there greeting everybody, and that's just to help protect me from other sickness. So I'll just say this. Uh, I, I love you, and I want to see you, and I want to say hello, but if you're sick, please don't come to me and, and greet me because an active chemo patient can't deal with that, right? In fact, if you're sick, don't go to anyone else, okay? <laughs> however, however, especially for those who are in active chemo, it's really important that you're just able to stay clear. The other thing is you may see me sitting down some when we're, when we're singing, and that's really just to save energy. That's really just to save energy, first service. I don't know, like if... if uh, singing, standing and singing, it takes some energy, right? It takes some breath to be able to do that and it can tire you out a little bit. So I learned in the first service, I've got to sit down a little bit more. Hey, by the way, I'm still singing up here. Ask anyone on the praise team if my, my, my lips are moving, like I'm still singing. But you may see a little bit difference with me, okay? But that doesn't mean I don't love you. It doesn't mean I don't want to be around you. It does mean I want you to wave to me and say, hey, if you're not feeling well that day. And uh, just know that, we will do everything we can to make things as normal as possible here and even in our lives at home as well. Well, as we clarified last week, our 2023 ministry focus for our church is to proclaim Christ and to make disciples whose hearts are devoted to King Jesus. And as we look to First and Second Samuel, we're going to see people who are far from being devoted to the true king. We're going to see people who are on the opposite end of the scale from where we want to be. They're far from being devoted to the true king. But then we're going to see some people who are devoted to the true king. And we're going to look at what it, we're going to identify and know what it is to follow the true king with all that we are. And when I say follow, I mean that holistically. How will we follow our king? How will we be devoted to our king? People whose lives are being shaped by God's presence, by God's grace, and by God's spirit. This is what we're looking for. This is what we're looking at. People who fear God, who depend on him, who are broken over their sin, who are driven by faith, who are moving forward through faith. And my prayer is that God will do amazing things in our church, in our lives individually this year as we focus on his word, as we gather together to worship, as we seek to be devoted to King Jesus, that he would work in unexpected and ways and, unex and through unexpected means to make our hearts more devoted to King Jesus. So with that, let's go ahead and read 1 Samuel chapter 1. We're going to read at the beginning here the first 20 verses. Would you stand with me as we read together? 1 Samuel Beginning in verse 1, reading through verse 20. There was a certain man of Ramathium, Zophim, of the hill country of Ephraim, whose name was Elkanah, the son of Jehoram, the son of Eliahu, the son of Tohu, the son of Zuf, an Ephrathite. He had two wives. The name of one was Hannah, and the name of the other was Peninnah. 
and Peninnah had children, but Hannah had no children. Now this man used to go up year by year from his city to worship and to sacrifice to the Lord of hosts at Shiloh, where the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, were priests of the Lord. On the day when Elkanah sacrificed, he would give portions to Peninnah, his wife, and to all her sons and daughters. But to Hannah, he gave a double portion because he loved her, though the Lord had closed her womb. And her rival used to provoke her gracious, uh, grievously to irritate her because the Lord had closed her womb. So it went on year after year. As often as she went up to the house of the Lord, she used to provoke her. Therefore, Hannah wept and would not eat. And Elkanah, her husband, said to her, Hannah, why do you weep? Why do you not eat? Why is your heart sad? Am I not more to you than ten sons? After they had eaten and drunk in Shiloh, Hannah rose. Now Eli, the priest, was sitting on the seat beside the doorpost of the temple of the Lord. She was deeply distressed and prayed to the Lord and wept bitterly. And she vowed a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, If you will indeed look on the affliction of your servant and remember me and not forget your servant, but will give to your servant a son, then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life, and no razor shall touch his head. As she continued praying before the Lord, Eli observed her mouth. Hannah was speaking in her heart. Only her lips moved and her voice was not heard. Therefore, Eli took her to be a drunken woman. And Eli said to her, how long will you go on being drunk? Put your wine away from you. But Hannah answered, No, my Lord, I am a woman troubled in spirit. I have drunk neither wine nor strong drink, but I have been pouring out my soul before the Lord. Do not regard your servant as a worthless woman, for all along I have been speaking out of my great anxiety and vexation. Then Eli answered, Go in peace, and the God of Israel grant your petition that you have made to him. And she said, Let your servant find favor in your eyes. Then the woman went her way and ate and her face was no longer sad. They rose early in the morning and worshiped before the Lord. Then they went back to their house at Ramah. And Elkanah knew Hannah, his wife, and the Lord remembered her. And in due time, Hannah conceived and bore a son, and she called his name Samuel, for she said, I have asked for him from the Lord. Will you pray with me? Lord Jesus, this morning we are directing our heart's attention to you. Together we have sung and we have prayed and we have read scripture and we have been encouraged. And now, Lord, we pray that you would attend to our greatest, deepest needs that only you and your word can bring to pass in our lives. God, move even this morning for your glory and for our good, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. And you may be seated. Well, the dominoes were falling and it wasn't easy, and it wasn't pretty. The events of 1 Samuel took place beginning sometime around 1050 BC. In the Hebrew Bible, we see that this book, 1 Samuel, follows directly after the book of Judges, and this makes sense because Samuel would be, among other things, the last in a long line of judges of Israel. He was said to have judged the people of Israel. In our Bibles, we see that Ruth comes before 1 Samuel, Ruth is there, and that makes sense because Ruth is following Judges, but it's actually taking place during the time of the Judges. But it's important for us to recognize that what's taking place here is really an extension of what took place during the time of the Judges. 
And we know that the time of the judges was a difficult time in the life of the Israelites. If we know anything about the book of Judges, we know that the people of Israel were not well spiritually. In fact, if we were to start at the beginning, we'd see that things were going okay, but then the people of Israel would fall into sin, and then God would send some oppressors over them who would, who would punish them, who would discipline them, God disciplining through the others. And then God, the people would cry out, they would get tired of the oppression, they would recognize their sin, they would repent, and then God would raise up a judge or a deliverer to come then and to rescue his people. And this happens over and over, a lot of cycles of sin, but the problem is, as the book of Judges carries on, there is a longer progression of sin. In fact, so bad were things at this point in life that Israel was falling apart. They had almost destroyed one of their own tribes, almost demolished, got rid of, annihilated one of their own tribes. And there was rebellion that was happening over and over and over again. In fact, as the book of Judges closes in Judges chapter 24 and verse 25, we read this. In those days, there was no king in Israel and everyone did what was right in their own eyes. There was no king in Israel. Now, was there a king? The true king was their God. But there was no king in Israel that they recognized, and everyone did what was right in their own eyes. So when we come to 1 Samuel, we're going to see that the Philistines, this coastal uh, group of people who lived there by the Mediterranean Sea, just to the west of where Israel was really planted, um, they, were, they were wreaking havoc on God's people. And the Philistines were, were attacking and the people of Israel were falling apart. Again, the dominoes just kept falling on them and they felt, what can we do? But they would not turn. They would not see the Lord. There was no central government. And Eli, who was the priest at Shiloh, Shiloh was the place where the tent of meeting, the tabernacle had been set up almost in a permanent fashion at that point, wasn't the spiritual leader that the nation of Israel needed. In fact, we're going to see this in the coming weeks, that he failed to harness his sons who were wicked and worthless men. And while there was turmoil amongst God's people, interestingly, the author of 1 Samuel, who, by the way, is anonymous, though many people believe that this was Samuel who was providing much of the written account here, Samuel will focus then on one family, the family of Elkanah, and even more specifically on the barren wife of Elkanah on Hannah. The barrenness of Hannah is really just a microcosm for what is going on with the people of God. Her womb is dead. Her womb is fruitless. And that's how the people of God were. Dead. Fruitless. In rebellion against the one true and living God. So what's happening within, within Hannah's womb is really what's happening within the whole nation of Israel. All the people of Israel. As the family would go to Shiloh and worship each year, Peninnah, the other wife of Elkanah, would harass, would provoke, would torment Hannah. She would point a finger, she would laugh, she would say, you can't have children, God has closed your womb. And then again, even when Elkanah is going to comfort or try to comfort his wife, he says again, why is this? And in the context of that, again, it's about the Lord closing her womb. Two times in just a few verses, the Lord closing the womb of Hannah. And we know that barrenness in this culture was to be seen as one cursed of God. There was social stigma associated with this, uh, this barrenness, this association with barrenness. 
We see this in the way that Peninnah harasses Hannah. Well, just a quick word on Elkanah's marital situation. The Bible presents marriage as a covenant relationship, a lasting, lifelong covenant relationship between one man and one woman. However, oftentimes in Scripture, especially in the Old, well, in the Old Testament, we see that men had multiple wives. And we need to know that God doesn't sanction this under normal circumstances. However, we do see it. It's common. We also understand that the, the, the name, the family name being carried on was important to God. It was important in this society. But even still, we shouldn't see this as being okay with God in this situation. Even if God withheld his judgment for a period of time, this was not walking in righteousness. And it's in this context then that we learn the first thing, that we are to cry out to the God who hears. We are to cry out to the God who hears. See, that's what we saw there in verses nine and 10. Hannah is praying to the Lord. Hannah had had it. All the dominoes were falling and they were crashing upon her. She was broken. She was empty. She was inconsolable. The pain of the moment was overwhelming. It was too much. She had no hope. And the only thing she knew to do was to turn to the only one who could give her hope. So what did she do? She went and she cried out to the God who hears. Oh God, be merciful to me. Be gracious to me. Give life where there is only death. I'll dedicate my son to your service, Lord. If you'll give me this son, I'll give him back to you. No razor shall ever touch his head. This, of course, being a reference to the Nazarite vow. Now, in Numbers chapter 6, the Nazarite vow is given as someone who would, uh, who would intentionally take upon a vow upon themselves so that they would be devoted to the Lord, right? They'd stay away from wine or grapes. They'd stay away from uh, carcasses, dead, dead things, carcasses, and they wouldn't cut their hair. And this was all a show to say that I'm devoted to the Lord. Here, Hannah is praying a, a, a prayer wish. God, if you'll do this, then I will dedicate my son that he would be fully devoted to you, that he would be fully engaged in your service, that he would fully minister in your name and for your people. And in this prayer, we see Hannah going against the cultural currents. While Israel was doing what was right in their own eyes, Hannah was drawing near to the Lord. While Israel as a whole was rebelling against God, pushing themselves away from God, doing what was right in their own eyes, Israel was drawing near to the Lord. She was humbling herself before the Lord and she was seeking him with all that she was. And get this, it wasn't a foregone conclusion that Hannah would draw near to the Lord. It wasn't a foregone conclusion that Hannah would cry out to the God who hears, right? She and everyone else understood that it was the Lord who had closed her womb. That's why it's repeated for us twice in those verses. The Lord had closed her womb. Hannah could have been bitter. She could have said, you know what? God of Israel, if you don't hear my prayers, then I'm going to go over here to the Philistine gods and I'm going to pray to them and I'm going to worship them and I'm going to see what I can get from them. Or she could have just given up in hopelessness and said, you know, this is my fate. I can't do anything about it. I'm just going to keep letting these dominoes fall on me because there's nothing else that can be done. She could have let the fear of man keep her from turning to the Lord, right? And there she was. She had just finished that feast. 
Elkanah would go and he would bring the sacrifices and the, the priest would take some and then they would get some back and they would eat from that. After they were done eating, Hannah went to the temple complex or what was the tabernacle area, the tent of meeting, and, and she prayed. And, and certainly she would have seen Eli sitting right there. She could have said, well, I don't want to do this in front of him. I mean, fear of man could have kept her from turning to the Lord. It wasn't a foregone conclusion that she was actually going to turn to the Lord to cry out to the God who hears. But instead she does. She cries out to God. She understood that God alone can give life. She understood that only God can make things new. Those devoted to the Lord, friends, will move beyond impersonal ritualistic piety and they will seek the Lord from their hearts. That's what we need to see here. It's not just about going through the motions of a sacrifice. It's not just about burning the right incense at the right time. It's about going beyond that, the impersonal, and moving personally to cry out to the God who hears. To connect yourself to him, to move closely to him. This is our hope. Ours is a God who looks on the affliction of his people. Isn't that what Hannah prayed? Lord, in my affliction, hear me. In my anxiety, in my vexation, hear me. This is, I think, what she was doing was repeating what she knew of Moses. Moses in Exodus chapter 3, as he's out there tending to, uh, tending to the flock of his father-in-law, sees a burning bush. God approaches in this burning bush. And God says to Moses, I have heard the affliction of my people. And I'm about to do something. And Moses, you're part of that plan. And here Hannah is saying, God, in my affliction, hear me. I'm crying out to you in my affliction. Hear me. Do something. In the New Testament, we have an invitation to cry out to God through Jesus, the great high priest who has gone before us. We are to cast our cares and our burdens on him. Why? Because he cares for us. We're to approach the throne of grace with confidence. Why? So that we might receive mercy and find grace to help in our times of need. We are to ask our Heavenly Father. Why? Because he's good. And he beckons, with us, beckons us to ask him. To ask and to seek and knock. And he knows how to give good gifts to his children. Friends, our God reigns from on high. And he does all that he pleases. And nothing, nothing is impossible with him. Well, lurking in the background is Eli. He's the top priest of the Lord, and he's sitting by the gate of the temple of the Lord. Likely this reference to a permanent place, what has become the tabernacle or tent of meeting. And we'll see this later, but he was not a faithful priest. He was not a faithful judge, and his sons were worthless men. In fact, God would soon bring judgment upon Eli and upon his family. And so broken is the spiritual life of the Israelites that the priest, that Eli, doesn't even recognize when someone is pouring their heart out to God. Instead, he says, oh, you're drunks. Put away your strong drink. Put away your wine. What are you doing? Stop living this way. And she says, no, that's not what's happening here. I'm crying out to the Lord. I'm, I'm sharing everything I have with the Lord. I'm crying out to the God who hears. So she sets him straight. And then Eli offers a blessing and Hannah walks away refreshed, having presented her request to the Lord. The second thing we see here is that we are to live in integrity before God. Live in integrity before God. Those who are devoted to King Jesus live in integrity before God. Let's pick up the story here in verse 21 and read through the end of chapter 1. 
The man Elkanah and his, all his house went up to offer to the Lord the yearly sacrifice and to pay his vow. But Hannah did not go up, for she said to her husband, As soon as the child is weaned, I will bring him, so that he may appear in the presence of the Lord and dwell there forever. Elkanah, her husband, said to her, Do what seems best to you. Wait until you have weaned him. Only may the Lord establish his word. So then the woman remained and nursed her son until she weaned him. And when she had weaned him, she took him up with her along with a three-year-old bull and ephah of flour and a skin of wine. And she brought him to the house of the Lord at Shiloh. And the child was young. And they slaughtered the bull and they brought the child to Eli. And she said, oh, my Lord, as you live, my Lord, I am the woman who is standing here in your presence praying to the Lord. For this child I prayed and the Lord has granted me my petition that I made to him. Therefore, I have lent him to the Lord. As long as he lives, he is lent to the Lord. And she, he worshiped the Lord there. So after this interaction with Eli, Elkin is going to finish up. They're going to go home. We, the text tells us that Eli knew his wife and that she conceived. And she was going to name him Samuel. Now, Elkanah continued his piastic worship of God. He would go annually to Shiloh and he would offer his sacrifices. And one day when after the child was born, Elkanah's thinking, Hannah's right behind him. Hannah's like, no, let's just hold off. Let me wean this child first. And then I'm going to bring him up to, to the temple there, to the tabernacle there and give him and pay my dues and fulfill my vows to the Lord. Now, interestingly, Hannah names her son Samuel and connects to the fact that she asked for him from the Lord. Really, that the Lord heard her. Um, that's what we see there in verse 20. Now, the word in Hebrew for here is Saul, okay? That doesn't sound like Samuel. It sounds like Saul to us. So if you can figure out why Hannah named her son Samuel based off of here, Saul, then you're doing better than I am right now because I don't know. But Samuel is the name, and that's what she goes with in this moment. The big picture of these verses is that Hannah follows through with what she promised to the Lord. Elkanah continues to make his annual visit to Shiloh, but Hannah decides after she weans him, she is going to fulfill her vow. So Samuel is likely around three years old when she brings him there to Eli to devote him and to fulfill the vow that she had made. And we're not going to spend a lot of time here, but it's worth noting that those whose hearts are devoted to the Lord, who are devoted to King Jesus, seek to live with integrity before God. They pursue covenant faithfulness with God. Whereas the people of Israel were doing what was right in their own eyes, according to their own wisdom and according to their own ways, Hannah was seeking to live according to the truth. She was seeking to live according to the ways of the Lord. She was seeking to live with integrity before the Lord, doing what was right in his eyes. She was being true to her word. Friends, when we understand the grace of God, when we understand how he has graciously saved us from our sin, made us spiritually alive when we were in the realm of spiritual death, drawing us from the kingdom of darkness and ripping us and placing us into the kingdom of light, then how can we not live for him? How can we not live in covenant faithfulness to what he has done for us? When we understand the, the mercy that he has shown us, when we understand that he has called us to turn from sin and to live in holiness, how can we not obey? 
How can we not to seek to follow him with all that we are? When he calls us to turn from darkness, how can we not then seek to live in the light? Because it's in the light that we have hope and it's in the light that we have peace and it's in the light that we have joy and it's in the light that we have relationship and connection with the one true and living God. Friends, this is what the grace of God does in our lives. It changes us. It it, it causes us to renounce ungodliness and to turn to light, to turn to truth and to live for the glory of God. Those who follow the true king understand that it's his will, not our own will that is primary. Oh, that we would be people who long to live for Jesus with every passing breath. That we would seek to live according to what we say we believe. That we would grow in integrity. That we would follow Jesus closely. That we'd be characterized by righteousness. And that we would live our faith in sincerity. Will you pray for that? Will you pray for that in your life? Even now. Friends, let's just take a moment. Let's just take a moment. And if you're so inclined by the Spirit, pray that very thing over your own life right now, that you would live with integrity and walk in righteousness before the true God. May that be, Lord, in every life here, that we would be devoted to King Jesus. Finally, through faith rejoice in God. Through faith rejoice in God. Let's look at the first 11 verses of chapter two. And Hannah prayed and said, my heart exalts in the Lord. My horn is exalted in the Lord. My mouth derides my enemies because I rejoice in your salvation. There is none holy like the Lord for there is none besides you. There is no rock like our God. Talk no more so very proudly. Let not arrogance come out from your mouth. The Lord, for the Lord is a God of knowledge, and by him actions are weighed. The bows of the mighty are broken, but the feeble bind on strength. Those who are full have hired themselves out for bread. Those who are hungry have ceased to hunger. The barren has borne seven, but she who has many children is forlorn. The Lord kills and brings to life. He brings down to Sheol and raises up. The Lord makes poor and makes rich. He brings low and he exalts. He raises up the poor from the dust. He lifts the needy from the ash heap to make them sit with princes and inherits a seat of honor. For the pillars of the earth are the Lord's and on them he has set the world. He will guard the feet of the faithful ones, but, his, but the wicked shall be cut off in darkness, for not by might shall a man prevail. The adversaries of the Lord shall be broken to pieces. Against them will be, he will thunder in heaven. The Lord will judge the ends of the earth. He will give strength to his king and exalt the horn of his anointed. Then Elkanah went home to Ramah. And the boy was ministering to the Lord in the presence of Eli, the priest. Now things have changed for Hannah, haven't they? In chapter 1 and verse 10, her prayer is one of desperation. Here, though, her prayer is one of joyful exuberance and exaltation because of the triune God, the true God. She understood and she expects salvation because God is moving. She rejoices and she is, she, is, uh, she is recognizing the holiness and the glory of God, which is beyond comparison, as he is on the side of 
the humble. And notice that she's not thanking God for her son here. She's not saying, I praise you, God, because you've given me a son. She has a much larger view of what God is doing. Again, what God has done for Hannah is prov- in providing Samuel actually points us to what God is doing to redeem and to restore his people. But none of this has happened yet, and that's important to realize. As you read through that text, that, that prayer that, that's recorded for us there, just think through how everything she's saying there is future-oriented. It hasn't come to pass quite yet, but through faith she is rejoicing in God. Author Peter Leithart notes Hannah's faith that through faith she is rejoicing because she sees God's hand at work, what he will do, and how he will fulfill his promise. And what is it that God is doing? He's doing a great reversal. He's reordering everything. He's turning everything upside down. He's going to judge the wicked, but he's going to protect the humble who are faithful to him. The arrogant will not stand before the creator. They will not stand before God forever. His adversaries will be broken to pieces. Consider the role, friends, that Samuel will play in this. We're going to see that in, in many senses, he is a mediator between God and his people. Not like Eli, who was an unfaithful priest and who had wicked sons, who made a mockery of God. Samuel is going to admonish the people to worship the true king. And yes, we're going to see some kings. We're going to see a man named Saul rise up. Don't worship Saul. Don't be like the nations desiring another king. Don't even worship David. Worship the true king, the offspring of David, the son of David, King Jesus. And through David, God will establish a powerful earthly kingdom for his people. And through one of David's descendants, God will establish the eternal kingdom where the reversal that Hannah is singing about here finds its greatest fulfillment. And that descendant, the very one that Mary sang about in Luke chapter 1, verse 46 through 56. The very child who by the power of God was in her womb. And it's no coincidence that her song in that moment, the Magnificat, is all about reversal. It's all about what God is going to do. It's all about rejoicing in faith because of what God is and will do what God's doing in Jesus. He's reversing the curse of sin. He's reversing the brokenness of this world. He's reversing the reign of death. He's opening up barren wombs. But even that is just pointing to something greater. The opening up of life, true life in the true king. Even as Hannah sang, the Lord kills and brings to life. He brings down to Sheol and he raises up those who follow the true king. First and second Samuel, friends, are pointing us to the true king. They're pointing us to King Jesus. And what we'll see in this study is that those whose hearts are devoted to King Jesus are driven along by faith. Faith in God's goodness, his worth, his power, and in his ways. Even when we don't see it right now. Even when it doesn't feel that way right now, we're driven along by faith in the God who loves, in the God who hears, in the God who cares, in the God who is all-powerful, in the God who is on the side of his own. So let's be found to be people who follow King Jesus. 
Let's be on the side of righteousness. Let's be people who out of integrity and love and service to the Lord, give him everything that we have. And let's rejoice because of the fact that if we are in him, he is working. We've only seen a little bit of what life in Jesus is right now. We see it in our own lives, we see it in our family, we see it in the church, but friends, there is coming a day when we will see all his glory and all his glory will be revealed clearly and we will walk with him forever. Will you pray with me? Father, we love you. Today we worship you and we thank you for your kindness and your mercy. Today we say that we have no other king but King Jesus because he is the true king. Today we say that Jesus is a good and a gracious king and he is full of love and compassion for his own. And he rules without rival. His name is powerful. And Lord, today there are some in this room who are not connected to the true king. And it's our prayer that your spirit would so direct their hearts and their minds to Jesus that today would be a day of salvation. That today they would turn from sin and they would put their hope in Christ, the one who came the one who took on flesh, the one who lived perfectly, the one who died on a cross for our sin, the one who rose again and is reigning today. By faith, Lord, may we be people who cry out to the God who hears. May we be people who are living in integrity because we love you. May we be people who rejoice in all things because of who you are and what you have done and the promise of what you will do. In Jesus' name, amen. Church, as we transition to a time of surrender and worship, we'll be at the front. If you have questions about what it means to follow Christ, what it means to be know the hope of eternal life, if you have questions about baptism or church membership or just desire someone to pray with you, we would love to connect with you up here even now during this song. If not now, catch us after the service or call us during the week. We'd love to connect with you. And if you're online and you're watching, we would love to connect with you. So fill out that connect card. Give us any questions that you might have. We would love to be able to have a conversation with you. Church, would you stand as we sing together?